Welcome in, welcome in, outsiders. We've got another great show for you here today. Ryan Ballett, your host as always. I'm joined again by Ben Mandel and Corey Jason. Dylan, unfortunately, still not back with us yet, but we look forward to his return sooner rather than later. You can always check out the Running Up the Score podcast with Dylan Mel to hear his latest thoughts on everything in the sports world. So, guys, we had a lot of fun last week playing the NFL What If game, looking at those different hypothetical situations. So at the NFL offseason, still in this lull period before the NFL draft really kicks off here, we're going to play another game today, NFL Would You Rather. We're going to take a look at a bunch of different combinations of players at every position, a couple of other different scenarios of Would You Rather. And Ben and Corey, you guys are just going to tell me which one would you take. I'll give my input as well. Well, we're going to start off hot here. As always, the quarterback position gets all the attention. And we know Aaron Rodgers likely out from Green Bay. That deal still has yet to be made official, but Jordan Love looks to be the projected starter. So my question for you guys is, all else being equal, would you rather go into the 2023 season with Jordan Love as your quarterback or Jared Goff? I'm taking uh, Jordan Love for this one. I like Goff. I think Goff is a solid quarterback, but Jordan Love is the young guy. Jordan Love is on a rookie deal, so that, that already helps your team when you're trying to, to make something. And also, you don't know what he is, but he's somebody that learned under the most talented quarterback in the history of the sport. Aaron Rodgers, at least to me, is just the most talented guy to ever throw a football on a field. So having somebody that learned from him, because talent it doesn't only equate to arm strength and what you do on the field. It's also your football IQ and how you read defenses. Going with him in practice, seeing what he sees, having him teach you, that's something that really would help a team and a, and a quarterback, a young guy like Jordan Love. He didn't do so great in his lone action against, uh, I believe it was the Chiefs, correct me if I'm wrong, but Love's a guy I'd rather go in with and see what I have because at this point, three years into his career, I know I can move on or not, and I don't have to pay him big bucks, so I'd rather see what he learned than go with somebody like Goff who you have to pay decent money, and you know what he is, and you know what he's going to bring to the table. Yeah, I think if you're looking at this from a contract standpoint, uh, Love is the better option, especially because you only have two more years of Goff, and you figure he's probably going to be right around where he is now in terms of the money. But in terms of what the players are now, it comes down to do you want someone who can help you win and be consistent? You know what you're going to get. And that's what Goff seems to be at this point in his career. You know, he'll get some turnovers. He'll have some of them, but he can take care of the game. He's not going to win you too many, but he can go out there and win you a few. Or you could have the guy on a rookie deal. You put tons of talent around him uh, and spend money elsewhere in Jordan Love. And I think, that is really the big thing to look at. Love's contract is certainly much, much more helpful for the team with all of the, you know, with it being a rookie deal. But in terms of the talent, the upside, the ceiling is higher if you have a guy like Love, because not only is that deal a rookie deal still, but you can spend money put players in other spots. And like Corey said, he sat underneath one of the best quarterbacks, a future Hall of Famer, no doubt in Aaron Rodgers. 
let's see what he learned. Let's see if maybe he could pick things up because you know what? When he did play last year as well, he seemed to really have things going as well. Yeah, I'm definitely higher on Jared Goff, I think a little bit more so than you guys, but I think I still lean towards Jordan Love just a tad because Corey was right. That one start against Kansas City didn't look too good. He popped in here and there a few cameo appearances throughout this past season. Looked a lot better. Looked like he can run this offense a lot more efficiently. And I think now he'll get a full off season, whether he's with the Packers or our hypothetical team, he'll get a full off season as the starting quarterback, get those precious first team reps. But let's go to, and Ben, I want you to start with this one because this is two of your guys here, Georgia Bulldog, Nick Chubb, or New York Giant, Saquon Barkley. Which of these running backs would you rather have on your team? These guys came up in the same draft class. Which way are you leaning? Well, look, it's it's definitely a little bit more complicated now, especially talking contracts. I'm going to ignore the contracts completely. I think that it is important to note that being a George Bulldog fan, as Corey mentioned off the air before the pod started, I was showing him Nick Chubb highlights in high school when we were in high school from when Nick Chubb was in high school. He was committed to Georgia, and I was I was just telling Corey, this guy's going to be a stud. Just watch. Wait for it. And he had some strong years. He tore his ACL in Georgia, but he was able to bounce back. And one of the things with Georgia running backs is there's usually two or three really good ones there at a time. Think about uh, the most recent draft. Two more running backs taken in James Cook and Zamir White. Both of those guys, uh, you know, if Josh Jacobs didn't just have his best year of his career, Zamir White would be slated to take over that starting role in Vegas. Now you look at Cook, he got some playing time last year with Buffalo, certainly a talented guy, but he's not his brother. So definitely one of those things that Georgia running backs, they're they're a dime a dozen. There's so many of them. Georgia spits out running backs like no other school in the country. They always have good running backs and they always have. Saquon, I, you know, love the guy to death. Big fan of Saquon, especially when he's on my team. But when you look at in going into that draft, I said, I don't want to take a running back at two. You can get a guy who's going to be just as productive in Nick Chubb later in the draft. Now, Nick Chubb wouldn't have made it back to the Giants if the Giants had tried to wait until the second round for him. But still, this is a guy that they could have gotten in the second round. Instead, they went with Barkley. Obviously not a mistake because Barkley has been great. And who was the other guy they were going to take? It was going to be a quarterback, and it would have probably been Sam Darnold. So you can't complain. You have to be happy about the Giants taking Barkley then, even though Nick Chubb later in the draft has been just as good, if not a more productive player throughout the course of their entire five-year career so far so right now though I think it's most important to look at who is the more explosive player we're not looking at money because both these guys are getting paid at this point Barkley under the tag I want to look at just exactly how explosive and what each of these guys can do Nick Chubb I think is a more steady just keep giving him the ball but Saquon Barkley is the guy that you want to break off the big play and as much as I love Nick Chubb Saquon Barkley is up in that Christian McCaffrey level of player where even when things are busted and look broken, he can make something special happen. And that's what Saquon does. Nick Chubb can do it, but not at the level of Saquon Barkley. 
these are two guys that they're going to be tied together forever. When you look back at that draft class, that draft class had a lot of controversy and we're starting to get to the point where questions they're being answered as players from that class are looking to get their second contracts. Some are on their second, third, fourth. In Josh Rosen's case, he's on his infinity team. These guys, you could go one, you could have went the other. The Giants, like Ben was saying, they, they could have taken the offensive lineman early and Nick Chubb later in the second round, or they went Barkley in the first, and then they took Will Hernandez in the second round. So especially for Giant fans, those two guys will be tied together, Barkley and Chubb. And for me, and Ben kind of said exactly the way I'm looking at this, I'm looking at the more explosive player, the guy who, when I put the ball in their hands, you have the most chance, you have the best chance for magic to happen. Nick Chubb is that run down your throat, just down after down, pound for pound back. Also had a lot of his uh, trouble spelled by Kareem Hunt. Saquon never had another guy with him in the backfield that was close to his talent level to be able to spell him and kind of make things easier, especially if they did two back sets. He had Wayne Gallman, Devontae Booker, you know, Matt Breida, among other guys, Gary Brightwell, and the likes. Saquon's never had somebody with him that was able to give him a rest or work with him in the backfield where you truly didn't know where the ball was going. So I think Nick Chubb's numbers and perception is inflated because he had Kareem Hunt with him. Not to take anything away from Chubb. He is a fantastic player. And then also you have Saquon's injury history where Saquon's missed a lot of games over his career, but he's been healthy now. He had a very good season, was a workhorse, started off hot, kind of tapered off to the end. But nowadays with running backs, you can't just have one workhorse guy. You need to have a full, healthy backfield that's able to give a guy a break. And if you're able to have an equal backfield and keep these guys healthy, I think Saquon is just the better player. You have his running ability, his shiftiness, his horizontal ability to move, his ability to make guys miss, whether it's juke or hurtling a guy like we saw him do against the Bears a few years ago, but also his ability in the pass-catching game. He's not the best route runner, but he's got extremely good hands. He's somebody that you could throw in the slot and have him run a slant in the slot somebody to do uh, work in the flat, somebody that can get in the end zone if you were to do that. He's almost like having another wide receiver who's just a bigger body and able to run through a guy. He's somebody that just helps a team in so many different facets that I think you're go you're better off going with Saquon, and that's not even looking at the contract situation where Nick Chubb signed a long-term deal, and we've seen this offseason, running back contracts, contracts plummeted to the point where Saquon might not make $10 million on the open market. And that's just beside the point, but also another reason why I think Saquon is just the better option to have. Beautifully said by you guys. I am definitely in the Barkley camp here. It's often said Nick Chubb is the best pure running back in the NFL today, the best pure runner. But I think in today's NFL, you need to have a much more assorted toolkit so to speak. And I think Saquon brings that the injuries. Sure. That's a fair criticism, but do we, how much are we going to hold that against a guy like Christian McCaffrey? He dealt with injuries 
plenty over the last few years, healthy this year. And I think we're kind of throwing him back to the best running back in the league uh, pedestal. Plus Chubb dealt with his injuries in college, not the NFL. Same ACL injury, just different times. Sure. And you got a guy too. Let's bring it the history factor in here. Frank Gore, he had a couple ACL tears in college and that was a huge knock on him coming into the draft. And then he's an NFL Ironman. So uh, it's not about I, I don't I don't necessarily buy too much into the label of a player being injury prone. I think things happen. This is a physical game. It's about how do you bounce back from it? And I think all of these guys who we just mentioned have made the most of their post injury uh, timelines, being healthy again and being big weapons for their teams. But let's go out to Broncos country. Let's ride. Would you guys take at the receiver position, Jerry Judy or Cortland Sutton? I think for for me, I think Cortland Sutton is the, is the better option. He's more proven. He's somebody that's actually performed at a high level in the NFL. Jerry Judy was drafted high, big name coming out of Bama, and just he's been, I don't want to say disappointing, because I think that doesn't do justice to to the level of Judy's play that just has not reached the heights that you want a first round pick to play at. He's, you know, had, he had some injury issues, but even when he's on the field, it just doesn't seem like he's a factor. And he's somebody who was usurped for the wide receiver one role by Corlin Sutton. And just having a good fast outside guy like Cortland Sutton, who's able to uh, work over the top. I think that's just something that's better to have than Judy, who just has just been disappointing and maybe the right scheme will help him break out, but it just hasn't happened yet. Yeah, I think with these guys, I definitely lean more towards Sutton as well. And with Jerry Judy, I think, yeah, he's a more athletic player, but Sutton's the better football player. Sutton has more has better route running. Sutton is able to beat coverage. He's able to get over the top. Jerry Judy is just really fast. And while, yeah, speed kills and speed can be a huge, huge factor for teams in games, you need to still be able to get open. Speed is not enough to get – it's not enough to get you by in the NFL. You need to have more. And that's why guys like Tavon Austin never stuck. And, yes, Jerry Judy is better than Tavon Austin, but still, he hasn't proven that he can be a legitimate number one, where Cortland Sutton, on the other hand, has done nothing but go out there and continue to prove himself being the guy out of SMU. Looks like a clean sweep for Cortland Sutton here. I'll side with him as well. I think Jerry Judy, just a f- just a little bit short of being able to be called a bust, I think. Definitely not playing to the level you want, a first-round pick. I think that's exacerbated a bit by the fact you look at the other receivers around him taken in that 2020 first round. C.D. Lamb, Justin Jefferson, a little bit later on, Brandon Ayuk, Michael Pittman, T. Higgins, I think all have at least matched or surpassed the level of Jerry Judy, what he's given in these few years. But let's go to the tight end position here for this one. Travis Kelsey, the undisputed top guy at the tight end position. So we'll take a look at the undercard a little bit. Would you guys take Mark Andrews or TJ Hawkinson? I'm going with TJ Hawkinson here. And it's nothing against Mark Andrews. Uh, 
I just think Hawkinson is all around just a tougher guy. I think Mark Andrews has benefited from playing with a guy like Lamar Jackson, where Lamar's running game alone helps open up a tight end. I think Mark Mark Andrews has also had the benefit of not having a legitimate wide receiver, so he has just been Lamar Jackson's favorite target. It does say something that, you know, you are a tight end and you're able to put up those kinds of numbers when you don't have the perimeter weapons that Baltimore has really needed to be as competitive as they should be. But Hawkinson is one of those guys who has just been so good when he's given the opportunity. He is dynamic. He can make some of the most ridiculous catches. He is a massive human being, and he he is more of a matchup nightmare to me than Mark Andrews is. Geez, I mean, we did not discuss our answers beforehand, but so far it's been a clean sweep, like Ryan said. I'm also going Hawkinson. I was considering going back and forth, but I ended up going Hawkinson because, like Ben said, I think Mark Andrews benefited greatly from being the only weapon Lamar Jackson had. And Lamar Jackson, he can't just run the ball every time he has it. He needs to be able to throw it at some point. So... Mark Andrews was really his only option, especially after they got rid of Hollywood Brown. Hawkinson, on the other hand, he had to deal with, you know, the post-Matt Stafford era in Detroit, David Blow, all those guys, bringing in Jared Goff. Just, he never had to deal with the talent. He didn't play with Megatron. He did have Amon Ross St. Brown, but Amon Ross St. Brown is still young. He had Kenny Galladay, but we've seen what Kenny Galladay's kind of turned into now. And... It's just something in Detroit where he was never he was never a star like he kind of became in Minnesota, where he had a Justin Jefferson on a side and Adam Thielen, plus he had Kirk Cousins throwing him the ball. And Hawkinson kind of hit another level after he got traded to Minnesota. To me, Hawkinson's the perfect tight end that you kind of want. He's in that same mold as Kelsey where they're a blocking first tight end that's able to receive and get a lot of yak and fight for yards afterwards. He's a block first guy. He's somebody that you want to have out there on every down. He can block, he can hold and release. He can run pretty much any route that you need a tight end to do. You know, the seam is a big route for the tight ends. And he's somebody out there that is more than capable of doing it. Might not have the best speed, but he's got shiftiness that just allows him to kind of leak out there and be open. And Mark Andrews isn't the greatest blocker, but also he's just benefited greatly from being the only option. We've never seen Mark Andrews have to compete with other mouths to feed. And that's another big reason why I'm going Hawkinson for this. It's funny because I'm actually going to take Mark Andrews for a lot of the same reasons you guys are taking TJ Hawkinson over Andrews. Andrews was the lone guy, really, in Baltimore. I mean, yeah, you have Lamar Jackson's rushing threat ability. And Marquise Brown never hit megastar status as a wide receiver. It was always Mark Andrews was the top guy. And TJ Hawkinson in Detroit, he was kind of in that same boat. Like, he's kind of supposed to be their top threat. Amon Ross St. Brown, just a rookie in 2021, didn't really pop off until the end. And then he, he picked up where he left off in 2022, but Hawkinson only around a little bit until that trade hit that sent him from Detroit to Minnesota, where now he goes to this other scheme 
with a better quarterback, a superstar wide receiver, and at least B-level wide receiver, Adam Thielen, whatever side of the hill he's on these days, and Dalvin Cook. So it looked like that was just maybe a better fit, a better scheme, more around him, whereas Mark Andrews kind of takes all that attention and still produces. So different interpretations there, certainly, but finally we don't agree on one here. But let's change gears here a little bit for these next couple before we go to the defense. Staying with the tight end position, I want you guys to imagine that it's mid to late August. We're doing our fantasy drafts. Would you rather draft Kyle Pitts in round three or George Kittle in round five? I'm going to tell you guys right now, I'm taking Kittle in round five. You do your best to continue your Kyle Pitts propaganda. Kyle Pitts, Kyle Pitts, Kyle Pitts. No, I I also would go with Kittle, but the thing is with me in terms of fantasy, unless you're getting one of the like top two or three tight ends, which I don't think either of these guys will be in terms of production this year. I really think it's just Travis Kelsey and that's it. Maybe Darren Waller has a big year if he stays healthy with the Giants and Daniel Jones. But outside of Travis Kelsey, is there really a tight end worth taking outside of the first eight rounds? I I don't really think so. I think you can just kind of, that's a position that you can stream. So I'm going to lean towards Kittle in round five because definitely – not taking a tight end not named Travis Kelsey before round five. Yeah, Ben came to the right answer for the wrong reasons. His positional value for fantasy is is kind of off, though. The logic's flawed there. But he did get one thing right. If you're not going to get the best tight end, there's no reason to spend a top pick on it. So that's why I'm going Kyle Pitts in round three. Kyle Pitts, Kyle Pitts, Kyle Pitts. I think that that's way too early for a guy who's you don't know what he's going to be. He's not a sure thing. You don't know what the target share there is going to be. He has Drake London to compete with now. He's just never gotten the chance to make a name for himself as a tight end yet. On the flip side, Kittle in round five is great value. He's somebody that'll possibly even be going in the fourth round towards the end of the fourth. So getting him in the fifth is not a big deal. He's one of the few tight ends along with like a Mark Andrews that you should be targeting. If you're going to take him early guy like Waller, I would stay away from this year as of right now, unless he falls a little later, but those three guys, Kelsey Kittle and uh, Andrews are the only ones you should look to even consider taking early. And even then I don't like the idea of taking Kelsey in the first round but I would take them in the second. But the same thing goes with Kittle and Andrews. I wouldn't take them in the third round, even the fourth. But if they're there in the fifth, you know, that's fair game because they're basically another wide receiver at that point. And they could put up wide receiver one numbers or even high-end wide receiver two on a bad year. So looking at Kittle, though, he's somebody that you don't know who his quarterback's going to be, right? Is it going to be Trey Lance? Is it going to be Sam Darnold? Does Brock Purdy make a miraculous recovery? Doesn't matter because a lot of those guys, young guys, unknown guys, they love their safety blankets. That's Kittle. That's the tight end position. And a guy like Shanahan, you know, is going to scheme open his tight end. Kittle is a stalwart in that offense. He's somebody that brings safer value week to week than a Debo or an Ayuk. He's somebody that you can count on to get consistent looks in the passing game, somebody that'll be a red zone threat always. And if the uh, Niners are inside the 20, be assured that ball is going to either McCaffrey or Kittle. 
So I think Kittle in round five is really good uh, value. But if you don't get a Kittle, a Kelsey, or an Andrews, then you're better off, like Ben said, and waiting later to see what falls to you and see maybe if there's somebody that you're higher on, like a Johnny Smith from a couple years ago that had a really good year that you can get in the 8th, ninth, 10th, or even later rounds and really make a well-rounded team. But Kittle in round five is a good deal. If I rephrase this to either Pitts or Kittle in round four, would that change your answer? I mean, no. I would still take Kittle round four, but I think at that point you're better off passing on both of them, and you're being stupid if you take either in that spot. All right, let's move our fantasy hats, our fantasy manager hats to general manager hats, general team-building philosophy here. Would you guys rather pay big money, big with a lowercase b, we're not doing earth-shattering contracts here, pay big money to your running back or your wide receiver three? I mean, for me, as much as I think running backs are great, I think you're better off paying your wide receiver three unless you have like an all-world other other dimensional running back because wide receivers, they get banged up. And a lot of times teams run out three receivers at a time. So if I would rather pay a good wide receiver three to have a really solid wide receiver room than pay big money to a running back where I can draft two, you know, and kind of work them until the end of their rookie deal, rinse and repeat, where you can take a lot more stabs at it throughout the draft and free agency if you have a decent offensive line and a good offensive scheme, then a wide receiver three who the skills are there and they're tougher to find to translate to the league. So I would rather pay my wide receiver three over the running back just because I think that's the way the NFL is going where you need to have three, maybe even four really good wide receivers to succeed. Yeah, I I agree. I think that, you know, you pay the wide receiver over the running back. And my reasoning is I think running backs are just easier to replace than wide receivers. I think running backs, are you find so many more of them as gems late in the draft. The way the league is transitioned, not as many tight ends, no fullbacks. So you're only using one running back primarily. They get beat up more because there isn't as much protection. You're spreading the field out. And, you know, these wide receivers, like Corey said, they get banged up as well because of how much they are being used in comparison to the way it used to be. It's really just a it's much easier to replace a running back than it is a wide receiver. Now, I know look at the Giants, for example, in terms of Saquon Barkley. You know, you're obviously, if you're replacing Saquon by trying to find someone in the draft, you're not going to go find someone equal to Saquon Barkley, but you'll be able to replace a Saquon Barkley much easier than you would be able to replace a Devontae Adams. Just ask the Green Bay Packers that. I know Watson appears to be uh, working out well, but Aaron Rodgers certainly missed Devontae Adams big time last year. I'm actually going to go the opposite way again here. I'm going to pay my running back instead of my wide receiver three. I think good or great running backs in this day and age in the NFL should almost be able to act as your wide receiver three. Um, I know some, I think was it Alvin Kamara wanted a little bit of wide receiver money because of how involved he was in the Saints passing game, or it might've been someone else, but I remember that being a thing, a, a talking point of should running backs kind of start to get that sort of money for those reasons because of how involved they are these days. So 
And I think, I mean, we see dozens and dozens and dozens of think about how strong recent draft classes have been with receivers. I mean, how many went just in the first round last year and then how many more kind of pop up out of nowhere a year or two later. I think it's easy. It's tough to find like a stud wide receiver, obviously, like you said, Devonte Adams or, you know, Justin Jefferson was the fourth receiver drafted in his class. So, but in terms of a starting running back or your wide receiver three, who, I mean, your wide receiver three could easily be, you know, fifth in the pecking order here behind that running back and behind your tight end. So just from that standpoint, I want to kind of spread the wealth a little bit as well, make sure my running game is on point as well. But let's shift over to the defensive side of the ball here, starting again with a couple of big guys that play in New York. They were both drafted in the first round of the 2019 draft, Dexter Lawrence or Quinn and Williams. Yeah, this is really great. And I think these are two of the best interior defensive linemen in the NFL, not named Aaron Donald. I think these two guys are fantastic. As a Giant fan, I have to go with my guy, Sexy Dexy. The guy was unbelievable last year. He had arguably one of the best seasons of any interior defensive lineman in the league last year. He was great. He came up with huge plays in big spots, especially down the stretch. But one of the biggest issues in losing Dalvin Tomlinson a couple years ago was how did the how did the Giants fill the middle? Dexter Lawrence didn't really feel like he was working out at first. A lot of people were ready to run him out of town. Didn't think he was worthy of a first-round pick. Well, guess what? This guy has been unbelievable this year. He is one of the best interior defensive linemen in the league now. He's quick. He's strong. And I'll tell you what, he's a gamer. He has an attitude to him that you love to see out of your defensive line. I know that Quinnen Williams isn't necessarily so nice on the uh, on the field, but he's a little too nice off the field. And sometimes you can't flip that switch. Dexter Lawrence has a little bit of nastiness to him that I think is really important. I think you nailed it on the head when you said that these are the next best two after Aaron Donald. They're the same age, they're both 25. I just, I gotta go sexy Dexy, like Ben said. He's just somebody that I think, I think his best football is ahead of him. And that's not to say Quinnen doesn't have that too. I just think at this point, Dexter Lawrence's ceiling is higher than Quinnen Williams. They both had very similar seasons. Quinnen was better last season, but let's just not say that it was, you know, a lot better it was better but it wasn't you know a considerable amount it was close I'm taking Lawrence because I think he's got the higher upside he's had to deal with having Leonard Williams next to him he's had a bigger presence with somebody next to him Quinton Williams is the guy he's been the guy he doesn't have to deal with uh you know anybody taking that and that is a benefit to him but I think Lawrence learning from a guy like Big Cat and, and Leonard Williams, I think that's just something that'll really aid in his development, especially having another year under Wink Martindale and learning from him too. I'm back in line with thinking of you guys. I'm leaning Dexter Lawrence a little bit here, but I just want to say for the record, don't forget about Chris Jones. Don't forget about DeForest Buckner. And I want to give a shout out. Another 2019 first round pick down in the trenches was Dexter Lawrence's Clemson teammate, Christian Wilkins. He's doing pretty well for himself down in Miami. But yeah, Dexter Lawrence definitely, I think, figuratively and literally just makes a bigger impact. Uh, Quinn Williams, though, has turned into a great piece of that Jets defense. Up to the next level now for the linebackers. 
This one a little different. It's really going to depend on the style of defense you prefer. So we got TJ Watt or Fred Warner. So TJ Watt more of a pass rushing linebacker. Fred Warner more of that off ball center fielder sort of style. And that's actually the style of defense and linebacker that I prefer is traits guys built like Fred Warner, guys like Darius Leonard, Bobby Okereke, the future Hall of Famer who is now playing for the New York football giants. But obviously it's important to have a great pass rusher, but I prefer the build of like a Nick Bosa down and right off the line as opposed to Watt. And he has a really complete game. But, I mean, this is really a toss-up. It's two elite players, two all-pros. Eileen, Fred Warner, where do you guys stand? Yeah, it's a tough one. It really is. I go TJ Watt. I think his pass rush ability and his ability to get to the quarterback and make the quarterback make mistakes, is it just trumps really anything that you would get out of Fred Warner, in, in my opinion. I think Watt might be the best pass rusher we've seen since, at the very least, uh, his brother, when he had those great seasons in the early 2010s, definitely beats out like a Khalil Mack or a Von Miller when they had their great seasons. He almost set the uh, the all-time sack record a few uh, about a year or two ago. And he's just somebody that's going to get better and better if he comes back from this, uh, I think it was a pictorial injury. And uh, I just think TJ Watt's just the best defensive uh, pass rusher in the league. Sorry, James. Uh, I'm going with Fred Warner here, and Corey and I are actually going to disagree, it looks like, here on the podcast. I I just, there's something to be said about when you have someone in the middle of your defense who can legitimately take the middle of the field away, not only in the run game, but in the passing game. And, I, I mean, this guy, Fred Warner, he is all over the field. He is not only a north-south player, he can also go east-west. He is fantastic. He is a huge reason as to why the 49ers' defense is as good as it is. I think for, you know, a guy like Watt, you can run the other way. You can go off the edge. There's no getting away from Fred Warner with the way he can cover sideline to sideline as well as north-south. TJ Watt, you can go the other way. You can cut block him. You can do a few things to neutralize that type of game. I understand the, the impact that 20 sacks will have on a season and for a team and a defense, and just having a good pass rush is able to cover up a lot of things, but having someone like Fred Warner who can literally eliminate the middle of the field teams know they can't go there against Warner. I think that's even more valuable. Keep in mind, you could always bring Fred Warner in on a blitz too, to get after the quarterback. But let's go to the secondary. Now, a couple of guys in the Eagles secondary that, uh, we thought we're actually going to depart from Philly. Both ended up staying James Bradbury or Darius Slay. Which one would you guys rather have? I'm going with Darius Slay. I think Slay's the better player while Bradbury has been very, very good. And I think quietly very good. He had that rough year in his second year in New York, but his first year, he was an all pro Last year, he was fantastic for the Eagles. He was a huge reason why they were able to have such a strong defensive unit. But Slay is the number one. He is the number one for a reason. I think Slay is the better player. I think he's more physical. And 
while he's more physical, he's still smarter. He's physical in the press. He's physical up at the line of scrimmage. He knows how to fight with his hands and not take the penalties. Bradbury is physical. He takes a lot of penalties. Um, not not uh, anything egregious or above average. But, you know, Bradbury is someone who will get called. He doesn't get away with as much as a guy like Slay, and it's because Slay is better. Yeah, I got to go Slay as well. I think Bradbury, like you said, Ben, quietly very good. I think he's flown under the radar, especially in Philly being paired up against Slay and just that incredible defense that Philadelphia had. But Slay's a little younger, and just I think he's just got a, a little longer uh, time left to being a shutdown corner. But let's just not discount Bradbury is nothing, at least to me. I think uh, Bradbury is going to be a good piece there. I'm surprised they both stayed in Philly. I'm disappointed. It's not what I wanted to see. But I think Darius Slay just uh, is a little better. He's definitely a better fit to go against your number one. But Bradbury blows any number two cornerback out of the water, and that's just an incredible duo they have down there. Yeah, great corner duo in the city of brotherly love. I'm going to lean Darius Slay as well. Look, when you have a nickname, Big Play Slay, you earn a nickname like that for a reason. He's been really great throughout his career, even back to the days of Detroit. I mean, he was really the lone bright spot on that Detroit defense for a number of years. Finally came to Philly and playing just as well. Bradbury going from Carolina to the Giants to the Eagles. He's been a tad inconsistent, but still very good. So he definitely earns the recognition. But... Again, Darius Slay, when you need that big play, it's more often than not, it's him. All right, one more to get to today. We're just a little over three weeks away from the NFL draft here at the end of this month in April 2023. The Carolina Panthers made the big move. They moved from nine to first overall. You don't make that level of a move if you're not taking a quarterback. So my question for you guys, would you rather draft C.J. Stroud first overall or Bryce Young with that top pick? So being a guy who has watched quite a bit of college football and just watching the way C.J. Stroud played against Georgia in that playoff game last year was really impressive. And he looked really good. I like C.J. Stroud's size over Bryce Young's. I think Bryce Young is going to be similar to a Tua situation. I really do. And I think C.J. Stroud is going to be more along the lines in terms of success, like what we saw, what we're seeing out of Joe Burrow. I think if CJ Stroud ends up in Carolina right off the bat, same thing for Bryce Young. I think they're both talented, but if CJ Stroud ends up in Carolina with that number one pick, I think that this Carolina team is built for success for years to come. That is a home run of a pick. I think I didn't love the move to go trade up for that spot the way they did it. But now the more I see it and the more you look at this roster and this defense and, you know, a good coach in Frank Reich, I don't care what anyone says. I think he's a fantastic coach and a great offensive mind. But in just C.J. Stroud, I think, is the better player. I like his arm talent more. I think Bryce Young, he might have a bit of a better football mind. And not to say C.J. Stroud doesn't. Uh, and not to say that Bryce Young doesn't have the physical skills, but I like Stroud's arm more. I think Stroud is a little bit more accurate. And again, being taller as a quarterback definitely has its advantages. Um, for me, neither of these two are, are my top quarterback in the draft class. They're not the guy I would prefer to start my franchise around. 
and have to, you know, build around for the next five years or so. But to pick between these two, I do got to go C.J. Stroud. I'm a Big Ten guy. Saw Ohio State play a lot. C.J. Stroud is not Dwayne Haskins, rest in peace. C.J. Stroud is somebody that might be might break that mold of Ohio State quarterbacks that haven't been able to compete at the NFL level. I like his arm strength a lot. And I think Bryce Young, like Ben said, could be a Tua situation, although I think Tua might end up being a little better than Bryce Young. I um, meant more along the lines of Tua first two years kind of under Brian Flores kind of thing. Okay, yeah, no, that makes total sense. That's kind of where I do see it. I think uh, either one of those guys, it's going to be a slow burn. Neither is going to come in right away and light the league up. But I would take C.J. Stroud over Bryce Young. But my guy, though, Anthony Richardson, he's the guy I would start start everything around. Not uh, either of them, not Will Levis. He's going to the Colts, though. But C.J. Stroud, he he he's who I would pick between the two to start because I think arm strength and just ability to read the defense just trumps uh, Bryce Young. Corey just had to get that little dig in there, didn't he? Will Levis. Will Levis, if he goes to the Colts, man, I won't even know what to do. But I, I'm, I'm going C.J. Stroud here as well. I've been on the C.J. Stroud train for months now. And Ben, you said you watched a lot of college football and Stroud impressed you. I don't watch a lot of college football. And I mean, that was the one college football game I actually really, you know, sat down and watched uh, was that Ohio State Georgia playoff game. And CJ Stroud just absolutely won me over. And I think I, I disagree with Corey a little bit here. I think Stroud and Young can both come into the league and they're not going to set the league on fire. We're not going to have, you know, a Cam Newton rookie year or, you know, Andrew Luck's rookie year was super impressive. Herbert's rookie year was super impressive. It won't be at that level, but they're not going to come in and be like Kenny Pickett didn't, you know, he looks fine. You know, Mac Jones, fine. Those, that sort of level. Um, I think Stroud, he described himself as a ball placement specialist, very accurate, and he's not going to play hero ball like Will Levis will. And like I had the traumatic experience of going through with Carson Wentz. Stroud will be smart with it. I think we have these big four quarterbacks. I, I can almost see their careers going four different ways. I think CJ Stroud has a very safe floor. And if he goes to the right situation, like Frank Reich in Carolina, that'll really unlock things for him and help him hit those higher levels. Whereas Bryce Young, I think with that higher IQ, not that Strouds isn't high, but Young's is much higher and his traits, I think he could come in if he goes to a team like Carolina or Houston. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if they start off really hot and then as other teams start to figure it out. But for Bryce Young, I worry, I mean, his build doesn't concern me from the standpoint of, I don't think he can play the quarterback position. I don't think it, you know, if the height doesn't matter, you know, and nothing like that, it concerns me of how long can he play this game? Cause you talk about Tua, I think a Kyler Murray a little bit. Kyler Murray was, he came onto the scene. He looked like the next big thing in 2019 and 2020. And then in 2021 and 2022, it's like, what's he doing? You know, we're, we're talking about him as the future. Now 
we're talking about him. Is, is he the future just of Arizona? You know, he's looked at the future of the league. So that's my concern with a guy like Bryce Young. I think he can succeed early on in his career. And then depending on his health and the team around him, he could get beat up and, and fall off a little bit. But to Anthony Richardson, then I think he's the inverse. I think it'll take a little while for him. Obviously, the physical traits are all there. The combine performance, he doubled down at his pro day. That's not in doubt. And this all sort of reminds me of the DK Metcalf. He was another quote-unquote combine warrior, and then he fell into the second round. But let's not forget, to actually play the game of football, when you go to the NFL, you have really good coaches to help teach you what to do. You can't teach the size, the speed that Anthony Richardson or the DK Metcalf has. Um, so for Anthony Richardson, I think it, it could take a little bit longer. But once he gets the hang of it, I think he has the highest ceiling of these guys compared to, I said, CJ Stroud has the highest floor. And then for Will Levis, look, I just don't see a world where he's not a bust of a draft pick. I think any GM that takes him should immediately be put on the hot seat. I don't think anything that he does well, all of these other quarterbacks can do it at an elite level, from an elite prospect level. Like he's outshined, I think, at every step of the way. And the knocks on Levis, I think, are just too much for me to really even put him at four but so these are sort of the big four quarterbacks do you guys see anyone else in this draft kind of leapfrogging levis or richardson or Corey forever you have it for does a hendon hooker or tanner mckee jump any of these guys in your rankings right now so you mentioned a guy like hendon hooker and okay that's fine you hendon hooker Tremendous athlete. He's coming off an ACL injury, but if you want to talk about Hendon Hooker as a top five quarterback in this draft, I don't understand how you don't bring up the guy who's just won two straight national championships, and that's Stetson Bennett. His knock is his age. Guess what? He's right around there with Hendon Hooker, who is also 25. So say what you want about Stetson Bennett's age. This is a guy who has gone out there has had to work for every single thing he has gotten. He was a walk-on on the Georgia team that lost to Alabama in the national championship game back in, I believe it was 2018, the 2017 season. He then goes and transfers to a JUCO school, transfers back to Georgia, uh, is a uh, walk on once or a he gets a scholarship but was told he is not going to play he will be a third or fourth string quarterback at best well he sticks with it he's a georgia kid who wanted to play for the georgia bulldogs he ends up getting us uh the starting job he's able to beat a couple of guys out they had the wake forest transfer who sat out the covid year so stetson bennett back in the mix that year he beats out JT Daniels for the job. Then when JT Daniels goes into the season of their first national championship season, when he gets hurt and Stetson Bennett has to step in, not only takes them to the SEC championship game with an undefeated record, they lose that game. He bounces back, wins in the national championship, and then 15 to know the next year. How do you not look at Stetson Bennett and look at him as a top five quarterback? Because I'll tell you what, the offense did not have the weapons that it had the year before. They had a good offensive line, but Stetson Bennett's a guy who can move, he can run, and you know what? The arm, he may not have the arm strength. He's got the accuracy, though, and he can certainly play in the NFL if you're looking at a guy like Hendon Hooker. I think Hendon Hooker is your 
fourth best quarterback in this class. To me, he leapfrogs Will Levis. I saw Will Levis in college before he transferred out of Penn State. I actually was lucky enough to broadcast Rutgers Penn State where he was the starting quarterback when Sean Clifford was hurt. And Will Levis, I got to say, is awful. He is terrible. Ryan, I think you're right. Any GM that goes and drafts him should be packing up his office the next day. He's not somebody that is going to have a team win. He just – I don't think he's got the arm strength, the the football smarts, the, um, the maneuverability in the pocket. I just – I don't see what is so great about him. He's so clearly behind all these other guys in his class. To me, I, I just can't wrap my mind around him being a, the consensus number uh, four in this class. Anthony Richardson is my number one, though. I think he has the highest uh, ceiling. And to be honest, I think with his skill set, he might have the safest floor, too. I think that's just because he embodies everything you want in a quarterback now. He's got the arm strength. He's got the talent. He knows what to do with the ball. His short passing and his deep passing is incredibly accurate. The only issue he has is the intermediate routes. He doesn't have the greatest accuracy, but that also might be because that wasn't utilized that much in Florida, especially compared to those short and deep routes. I think Bryce Young, I, I just don't think he's going to be any good. I think he's going to be early Tua, but uh, CJ Stroud could make that competition with Anthony Richardson for the best quarterback, but I think Richardson just blows him out of the water with talent. But outside those five, I don't think a guy like Tanner McKee can touch them. I'd like to see Hendon Hooker drafted by a team with an established quarterback already, let him sit behind them, and then at 27, 28 years old, you know, in three years since he's like 25 now, he'll be able to take over and uh, hopefully succeed. Yeah, the NFL draft talk will continue to ramp up here on the Outsider Sports Football Podcast as we approach that draft. We'll talk about these quarterbacks plenty more in the lead up to that big event at the end of April. But next week, I think what we're going to do is we're going to talk about our favorite non-quarterback prospect in the draft. So, guys, that's your homework for next week. Follow us on Instagram at Outsider Sports Network, on Twitter at Outsider Sports 3. Search us up here on Spotify, on YouTube, and on TikTok. Just search up Outsider Sports. Stick with us. The headliner event of the NFL offseason is right around the corner. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 